Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. But this actor, this very famous actor, uh, didn't elaborate, this is from an article, didn't elaborate on his intimate experiences outside of the marriage. And what they're talking about here is here is he and his wife have both agreed to have an open relationship. And that means they can stay married, but they can be intimate with anybody they want to be intimate with. And they're, what they say is, hey, we don't, we don't think anybody should do it, but it really works for us. Okay. So, so he's opening up about his intimate experiences outside of marriage. And he did admit that he felt guilt over considering infidelity in the early phase of the relationship. Like he doesn't now, but he did then due to his Christian upbringing. Okay. So he detailed his experience of speaking to an intimacy coach who helped him process his thoughts about having a harem of girlfriends despite his being married. Okay. So that coach, that intimacy coach, was essentially, he says, and I quote him, that the intimacy coach was essentially cleaning out my mind, letting my mind know it was okay to be me, to be who I was. Whereas in my mind, in my Christian upbringing, even my thoughts were sins. That was really the process that the coach worked me through to let me realize that my thoughts were not sins and even acting upon these impure thoughts didn't make me an expletive. And I can't use that word in church or out of church, everybody. It just doesn't belong in my vocabulary. And uh, what he's saying is, hey, I had this issue in my life. I wanted to have all these relationships outside of the marriage bed. And so to help me to get over this, I went to somebody who was an intimacy coach who told me that it's okay to be me and to go and do what I want to do. Let me say it like this, everybody. We're going to come back to this later. He went to somebody who would coach him on suppressing the truth. Something in his heart that he knew wasn't right, something that he knew wasn't what he vowed on the day of his marriage, that he was going to be faithful, he was going to be pure. He knew that it wasn't supposed to be happening in his life, so he went to somebody to help him work through those emotions, or you could say to work through the suppression of truth. And, 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 and he's very sincere about this, as is his wife, but how many know that you can be sincere, but you can still be sincerely wrong, right? Right? Okay, so truth then, truth then, if we are not being shaped and molded by truth, then we are resisting it or rejecting it. Or you could say, if we're not being shaped and molded by truth, then we are actually suppressing the truth. We are resisting the truth. Uh, Let me say it a different way according to Scripture. If we are not being shaped and molded by truth, then we are conforming, Romans chapter 12, we are conforming to the patterns of this world. We are suppressing the truth when we are meant to be renewed in our minds. I would tell you this before we go any further. Today's topic, again, is not a lighthearted topic, but it's something that all of us need to hear, that we cannot be a people who suppress the truth. 
We have to be a people of the truth, who embrace the truth, who believe the truth, who live out the truth. Amen? That's who we're supposed to be. That's who we're supposed to be. So we see the suppression of truth in Romans chapter 1. And I want to give you just a quick definition of suppression. Suppression is to intentionally restrain or push down or stifle. It's to keep at bay. Dr. Tony Evans uses, in fact, I'm going to be using uh, some of his material today. Uh, that I know I got from Tony Evans over my past years of study, that he, he, he relates this to, have you ever been in a swimming pool and you have a volleyball or a beach ball and you try to hold that beach ball underwater or any ball underwater? What you're doing is you're suppressing it. You're, you're restraining it. You're pushing it down. And it's not meant to be that way. And you know that ball just keeps trying to come back up, right? And, and, and I'm going to tell you throughout the course of your life, I promise you with this actor, as much as he is suppressing truth, this will come back up in his life over and over again as the Lord deals with him on it. It will come back up. And the issues that, that are in your life, the, the lies that you are believing you're in your life, can I tell you something? That God in his grace and in his mercies, he's going to keep bringing those things back up. As you try to suppress those things in your life and try to, you, you're going to try to believe a lie, you're going to try to allow yourself to say, oh, it's okay, and just this time it doesn't matter, and well, I'm really a decent person overall, and if I just give in to this, that's a suppression of the truth, and God is in his mercy and his grace, he's going to keep bringing that up. And he's going to make you uncomfortable with anything that isn't the truth in your life. And make no mistake, everybody, that's his kindness. It's his love. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. He loves you. So he's going to start bringing these things to light that you're trying to suppress. And what I'm saying today is let's not live lives of suppression. When we suppress the truth and we read this in, in a very politically incorrect chapter of Romans chapter one. All right. You ready for this? You're not scared of the word of God, are you? Okay. Don't ever be scared of it. Embrace it, everybody, and love it and treasure it because it is a treasure to us. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So their wickedness is proof that they are suppressing or they're trying to restrain the truth. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they actually became fools. And so for this actor who says, hey, listen, I'm not saying everybody should do this because, you know, his train of thinking is, well, this is my truth. It doesn't have to be your truth. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that truth actually applies to everybody. It's a standard that applies to everybody. And yet people in today's culture, they have trouble with that. And they believe, hey, hey, this is really good for me. Like it's made my marriage better. I have been enlightened 
And yet the Bible says very, very clearly that although they claim to be wise, that, hey, my marriage is better, they actually became fools. That when you suppress the truth, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. So if I were to say in here, how many of you want to be fools? Well, only foolish people would raise their hands, right? And hopefully nobody would in this room. Because nobody wants to be a fool. Nobody wants to be foolish. But fools suppress the truth. The wise embrace the truth, even if it's politically incorrect, even if it's counterculture. We embrace truth. So when truth is stifled, number one, here we go. When truth is stifled, the wrath of God is revealed. Remember what he says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. So what is the wrath of God? Okay, God's wrath is a just controlled punishment against sin. And that's a, a definition I came up with because I wanted to highlight a couple of things that I think you should know. First of all, the wrath of God is just. God is perfect. Therefore, any decision that he makes, even if it's a decision of wrath, it is a perfect decision. You could say it this way. It is a just decision. It is a just decision. And you should love the justice of God. Because justice demands that when sin occurs, death should follow. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus bore the penalty for our sins on the cross. He satisfied the penalty or, of our sins or the wrath of God by dying on the cross. And anybody who would trust in him has eternal life. Why is that? Because of God's justice. God's justice demanded that Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb of God, would sacrifice himself and die so that we wouldn't have to. How many now love the justice of God? Because the justice of God brought Jesus our Savior. You should love God's justice. You should love it. So, so the, the wrath of God is just, and by the way, it's controlled. It's controlled. It's, it's a controlled punishment against sin. Let me say it a different way. Aren't you glad that God doesn't have what, what you and I would call a bad day. Because if he's having a bad day, and he's like, oh, urgh, I'm so angry at all these stinking heathens, I'm going to wipe you off the face of the planet, you little monster, I'm going to get you. I'm going to make you pay, right? Like, how many know, like, even in, even in today's court systems, like, sometimes you, you'll have a justice or a, a judge that will make somebody really pay. But then another job, another judge concerning that same offense in somebody else's life will just give them a little slap on the wrist. Well, you think, well, where's the justice in that? Where's the, where's the standard in that? Because what if, what if you go up in front of a judge one day, and hopefully none of us do, and you just, you're in trouble, and you happen to stand in front of a judge who's just in a bad mood? Well, you're going to not like that day. See, see, God doesn't have bad days like that. It, it, so it's, it's, it's just, but it's also controlled. 
It's just, but it's also controlled. And it's controlled because of his love and his mercy, because of his character and his nature. So sometimes we let emotions control us. The proof is, if I were to ask all the parents and grandparents in the room, how many have ever went off on your child when you knew you shouldn't have? Don't, don't raise your hand. You don't have to. We all know. Because I've done it too. Like I've jumped on my kids sometimes and I've had to go back to them and said, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I, I was just in a mood and you just caught me in a moment and that was not fair of me to talk to you like that. Would you forgive your dad? By, by the way, if you're a good parent, you're going to apologize to your kids sometimes. But also, if you're a good parent, you're not going to apologize to your kids all the time. How many know that to be true, too? Because sometimes your kids just deserve it. They just deserve it. So preach it, brother. Say preach it. Come on. Help me preach. So it's the just controlled punishment against sin. That's what God's wrath is. So this type of wrath is in the, in, that we're talking about in Romans chapter 1 is in the present, not in the future. So when we think about the wrath of God, we think about future wrath. That Yeah, one of these days, God is going to judge the living and the dead. One of these days, God is going to, he's going to judge, and that's true. But right now, we're not talking about the future wrath of God. We're talking about the present wrath of God, because it says in Romans chapter 1, again, the wrath of God is being revealed. It is being revealed. Now, now this is huge, everybody. Dr. Tony Evans calls this, write this down, he calls this the passive wrath of God in comparison to the active wrath of God. That we live in a, in a portion of time that we're viewing the passive wrath of God. And, and when I heard him say that, things just started coming alive in me. I started thinking big thoughts and thinking, boy, that's right. Because a lot of questions that I get, everybody, especially from new believers, is when they're starting to read the word, They'll start, they'll, a lot of times they'll just open up the Bible and they'll start in Genesis, you know? And even though we tell people, you know, it's probably best to start in the New Testament, start in the book of John, read the Gospels, you know, start there. A lot of people, when they don't know where to start, they just pick up the Bible and they start reading in Genesis and, and they, they, they don't understand what I understand, what many of you understand. Because when you look at the Old Testament, you see the active wrath of God. You see things, and they read things, and like, wow, God was really angry in the Old Testament. Like, he just destroyed people, and he seems so nice in the New Testament. What is the difference with God? God must have changed. No, God is unchangeable. He doesn't change. There is no, there is no uh, uh, shift in, in his personality. There's no shift in truth. The God of the Old Testament is still God of the New Testament, and, and God of the future, and God of the past, and God of the present. He's unchanging, everybody. He, he, he was and is and is to come. So how do, we, how do we say, well, okay, well, why was he so proactive in wrath in the Old Testament and so nice in the New Testament? Why is that? Okay, okay, it's the difference between the passive wrath of God and the active wrath of God. It's also the difference between what we would believe, those of us who study the Bible, there's a word that we use for this, and it's called dispensationalism dispensationalism that, that there are uh, uh, that there are are dispensationalism is the method in which God deals with humanity throughout the course of time so dispensationalism divides God's methods of dealing with humanity over different periods of time for instance the first dispensation now some people believe that there's like 21 different dis dispensations uh, I, I really hold to that there's seven, but, but, but again, that's interpretation. That's not absolute, just interpretation of Scripture. Uh, 
And the first dispensation, most would agree, if not all theologians would, would agree, was the dispensation of innocence. And it was when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had not sinned yet and they were just innocent and there was no wrath whatsoever involved. Why? Because sin had not come into the picture as of yet. There was no sin, hence no wrath. The dispensation of innocence. But we know that Adam and Eve did sin and that ushered in the dispensation of conscience. Of conscience. And so that happened. The conscience was God would just judge according to our people living out morality according to the conscience that he gave them. For instance, all of you in this room, you have a conscience. And, and it's, it's no coincidence that a toddler who, who maybe not even doesn't understand the full English language, for instance, but they take something that they're not supposed to take and you look at them and say, did you take that? And what do they do? They not only steal, but now they tell a lie. Why? Because their, con- their, their conscience is being revealed in that moment. That they, have, that they know two things in that moment. I shouldn't have stole. They might not even learn how to speak yet, but they know, shouldn't have stolen that, or I shouldn't have disobeyed mom, or I shouldn't be telling this lie. And they'll look at those, those eyes like, no, not me. And you know, you know that they have a conscience, Right? Okay, so we have this this dispensation of conscience up until the flood. And then, of course, the flood happens. God God shows us act of wrath. And then we have the dispensation of human government, which would be post-flood, where he established rulers in the world. But then we have the dispensation of promise. I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. Dispensation of promise that had to do with Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then we had the dispensation of law, which would have been the Mosaic law. So it came through Moses. And the law was, hey, here's the law. You either obey the law or you disobey the law. And if you disobey the law, there's going to be some wrath. There's going to be some punishment involved with that. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, there is a shift in how God deals with people. And it, and it moves from active wrath, active wrath meaning the flood. How about fire and brimstone raining down from heaven? How many remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? That's active wrath of God. How many remember that, that there was a time where the earth opened up and swallowed people who were, were rebellious against God? That's the act of wrath of God. I could show you that multiple times throughout Scripture, but all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene and the act of wrath of God is put aside for the passive wrath of God. And we call this, by the way, the dispensation of grace. Some would say the dispensation of the church. And it's the time that we're living in right now. It's the sixth dispensation. There's another one that would be the millennial reign of Christ. That's another sermon for another day. But right now we're living in this dispensation of grace where we're not seeing the active wrath of God, but we are seeing the passive wrath of God as Dr. Evans explains it. And I think, I think that's brilliant. And I'm going to show it to you in scripture that there's actually different levels to this. So, God is, here's the passive wrath of God. Write this down, number two, that God is currently releasing people to live life without him. It's the passive wrath of God. 
And I'm going to show you three different levels here in the book of Romans. I don't think that these are all of the levels. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I think this is just what the book of Romans is showing. And Romans shows us three different levels of of God's passive wrath. The first one is Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 24. And I've I've had you underline this, but I'm going to have you highlight something else. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires. God gave them over to the sinful desires. Underline sinful desires. That's the first level. He gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What's what I said? What's that part again? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So instead of embracing the truth of God, they started embracing their sinful desires. So letter A, write this down, that God gave them over to sinful desires, which could be, one of them would be addictions. Now, all of these levels that I'm teaching you today, I want you to know that God is doing this because of grace, because of mercy, and because of love. That his ultimate goal is that they would come to their senses and have a prodigal son type of moment where they come to their senses, they live life without their heavenly father, and they realize, I have gotten myself into a mess. I need to come back to God. And and God is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to release you to the penalty of your sins for a little while so that you can come to your senses and call upon me, and when you call upon me, I'll be there. Why? Because we live in this dispensation of grace, and he wants to show grace. He longs to show grace. He longs to show mercy. And this this level of addictions, I have counseled hundreds, if not thousands of people with addictions. Let me tell you something about addictions, everybody, that when you get involved in addiction, you, you give in to a sinful desire that you have. You give in to a desire that's not godly. And I've never, I have never counseled one person who was an addict who said, Pastor Justin, the joy of my life is being an addict. I just love it. It, is, it just means everything to me. And I'm just here to convince the whole church that they need to be addicts too. I've never had that happen. In fact, of all the people that you have talked to who were addicts, whether sexual, whether alcoholic, whether, whether drugs, marijuana, meth, what, anything where they if they were addicted to shopping I'm, I'm talking about just addictions have you ever spoken with an addict who said oh i just love my way of life no but we all know some addicts maybe you are one who will look at you and say i hate this i don't i don't want to live like this and it's God's way of them, of bringing them to their senses, saying, hey, I, I'm leaving you to your own devices. But where did that get you? Come back to me. Come back to me. And a lot of addicts turn to the Lord, and they turn to the, to the church, and they turn to you for help because they've come to their senses. And we're there to embrace them and counsel them and give them wisdom and encouragement and hope that's what we do, everybody. And it's just the first level. But there's another level. 
It's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Because of this, and I've underlined this for you, God gave them over, but mark this, to shameful lusts. That's the second level. The first one is sinful desires. The second one is shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. We're talking about shameful lust. Let her be, write this down, that God gave them over to unnatural sexual sins. Unnatural sexual sins. Now, before we go any further with nobody leaving this room, I don't care how bad you have to go to the bathroom. Everybody will stare at you if you leave right now. Don't do it. I'm just telling you, don't do it. (laughs) That we are talking about a portion of scripture. How many know that I didn't write Romans chapter one, neither did you, but it's there and it's meant to be embraced and it's politically incorrect. It's culturally incorrect. And yet the Bible says that the relationship between a man and a man and a woman and a a woman is not only unnatural, but it is sinful. Now, before we go any further, listen to your pastor. I have talked, I have spoken, personally spoken with dozens and dozens of people dealing with the issue of homosexuality in their life. And there are some people that I have, that I have ministered to, that I've talked to and counseled, that they were so steeped in sin and sinful desires and their addiction went deeper and deeper and deeper that all of a sudden they started having un- unnatural longings, unnatural sexual longings. I, I remember this, this one young man who's not young anymore, he's in his mid-40s, I would guess now, upper, upper 40s, about my age. And, and he, his name was Eric, and I, I've known him years and years and years ago. He lives in another state. And Eric came to me, and, and, and over the course of time, he admitted, hey, I'm addicted to pornography. I just look at it all the time. And, and all of a sudden, after I'm counseling him, he just wouldn't stop. He just wouldn't stop. You know? and, and I tried and tried to help and tried to encourage and tried to be an accountability partner, and he just wouldn't stop. Well, he came to me a, 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 a several months later, and he was weeping. He was just in tears. And he looked at me. He said, Pastor Justin, I think I'm gay. I said, no, you're not. He said, yeah, I think I am. I said, well, talk to me, brother. What, what, what's going on? And what I found out was that he kept looking at certain websites over and over and over again, and all of a sudden, he became desensitized to them. And then he saw something that he'd never seen before. And it stimulated him. And then he started watching it and watching it some more and watching it some more only to come to this place where you're like, I think I'm gay. And, and that's, that's, that's a lot of counseling that has to happen in a moment like that. So there are some people that just, they get so, so steeped in sin. It's a path. But there are others, everybody listen to your pastor, there are many, 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 many others that were abused, that didn't have a father figure, or a mother figure in their life, that they grew up in a very dysfunctional home. Some of them, just from, from as long as they remember, they just had that leaning, they had that, 
that they were just bent in that direction. And can I tell you, everybody, listen to your pastor, listen to your pastor. That God loves them just as much as he loves you. And he values them and they are worth something to him. So they should be valuable to us. And ours is not to condemn. Ours is not to judge. Ours is not to treat them any differently than we would treat somebody else. That we are to love equally, to love every person equally. That does not mean that we have to agree with that lifestyle. We don't. I don't. The Bible doesn't. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them and is reaching out to them. And of all of the people that I've spoken to who are struggling with homosexuality, I've never met one who didn't say, Pastor, I'm miserable. I'm just miserable. And, and, and where's God? And, 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 and how, do I, how do I battle this? How do I confront this? And I got some questions about this. Let, let me say it a different way, everybody. Let me say it a different way. This is, this is going to help so many of you in this room. Because I get asked this question a lot, can homosexuals go to heaven? And the answer is, and this is going to offend a few people in this room, the answer is absolutely. You're like, whoa, pastor. Now, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying those who are actively involved in it and couldn't give a rip about God's word, who have rejected truth, who have rejected God and just continue. I'm not talking about them, but I am talking about those who, who have maybe grown up in a, in, a, in a dysfunctional setting, in a dysfunctional home, or maybe people who were steeped in sin and they've come to their senses and said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to live like this. Can I tell you something? Listen, listen to your pastor, that every, if you're truly a believer, if you're truly a Christian, you are repenting of something. You are. And sometimes we view other people as if their sins are worse than ours. Don't do that. Because I'm ministering to people who are struggling with this issue in their life. And they're, they're praying to God. For, they're praying for purity. They're, they're praying for, for release. They're praying for freedom. They're praying for forgiveness. And I, I tell them, listen, that's not mine to repent of. I don't struggle with that, but... But I struggle with other things. And when I'm meeting with them, I just start going down the list of things that I struggle with in life. The thing, I, I, just, I, just, I just start listing off the sins that I struggle with in life. And I say, listen, my sins separate me from God just like your sins do. And that's why we trust on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm repenting of my sins. And, 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 and that's not mine to repent of, but it's yours to repent of. And you can live a life repenting of that sin and saying, hey, I have those thoughts, but I don't give in. Come on, everybody. How many have ever had a lustful thought in this room? Because the Bible calls that sin. The Bible says if you lust after, if you're, if you're a man and you lust after a woman, it's like committing adultery. Like the Bible says that's pretty much adultery. And if we're repenting of that, what's the difference between repenting of that? Because it's all sin. Meaning this, don't, don't be high-minded. Don't be prideful. Don't think that you have this thing figured out. Because I know 
people who are struggling, that don't deal with homosexuality, but they are in a battle concerning sin. And I'm so glad that God forgives anybody who will call upon his name. He'll forgive anybody who calls upon his name. So do homosexuals get to go to heaven? If they repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then yes. Just like gluttons get to go to heaven. Come on, everybody. Am, am I getting to you now? Because all of you are like, don't look at me. You're all sucking in your gut right now, aren't you? <laughs> don't look. Just, because, just the way all of us have been saved by grace through faith. That doesn't mean practicing it. That doesn't mean embracing it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody who looks at their life and says, I'm in need of a Savior. And when they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are saved. They are saved. And faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're also embracing a life of repentance. And by the way, that sin is not the only one mentioned here. So if you think Romans 1 is all about homosexuality, it's not. And he proves that here in a second. So God gave them over to un unnatural sexual sins. Let's read, in fact, Romans 1, 28. I'll show you this. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Oh, by the way, now you can move around if you have to. Now nobody will, look, <laughs> no, nobody will think weird of you. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Here, here it is again. So God gave them over. And underline this, to a depraved mind. To a depraved mind, that's the third level. So that they do what ought not to be done. So now we're not talking about just sinful desires, and we're not talking about unnatural sexual sins. Now we're talking about just things that they know they shouldn't be doing. In fact, if you, and I didn't leave, I didn't put them in your notes, but if you read the next following verses... I counted at least 21 sins that are listed right there. At least 21. So he's talking now about people who have a depraved mind. That, that there were addictions, there were sexual sins, no, no doubt. But, but here's some other things, some, in fact, many other things that they give into over and over and over and over again. As they suppress the truth, they end up embracing a lie. And when they embrace a lie, they embrace sins. And he lists what those sins are. Watch this, verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So, so it's not now all of a sudden, it's not, it's not just like, oh, okay, hey, it's okay if you're a sinner. Now it's it, the depraved mind, the reprobate mind says, I'm not, only, I'm not only acknowledging the sin in your life, but I'm celebrating the sin in your life. I'm celebrating the sin in your life. That, that's why everybody, and not just concerning homosexuality, but that's, the, that's why we have parades all across this nation. There are parades that have nothing to do with 4th of July or Christmas. They're actually celebrations of sin. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to tackle two very big topics in this room. And I want you to listen closely. We've already talked about homosexuality. One of the things that is celebrated in our nation outside of homosexuality is abortion. That people actually not only acknowledge abortion, but they celebrate abortion. 
They have parades promoting abortion. And you say, well, pastor, why is abortion wrong? Because God is life. Because God is life. And and I want to say something before we go any further, because that's not the point of this, but I'm showing you that a reprobate mind or depraved minds, they celebrate sins. They, They don't just acknowledge them, they celebrate them. And And just like the homosexual who can repent and find Jesus and be accepted by Jesus, if you've ever approved or went through an abortion, can I tell you something? Jesus loves you as much today as he did before that happened. And there is grace and mercy to be found in Christ. And if you confess that, he'll forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that sin does not define your life. What I'm saying is there is hope and there's healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to him. So if you're like, oh man, I, I, pastor, I've done that. Listen, can I tell you something? If you come in my office and say, pastor, I've had an abortion. Or pastor, I approved of my wife having an abortion. Can I tell you? The only thing you'll get from me is a huge hug and a lot of love and a lot of the word of God saying, hey, listen, God does not hold your past against you. He has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. You are free from the penalty of that sin. How many know that God's grace and mercy is bigger than we could ever think or imagine, everybody? Come on, it's bigger than you could ever think or imagine. And you can be and you are forgiven. When you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of all of your sins. You're forgiven. I told you we'd get to some good news, but I got I to give you letter C first. So God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to a depraved mind, and I want to point this out very quickly. That in the Greek, the word depraved or reprobate, depending on the translation you, you use in the Bible, in the Greek, it literally means counterfeit, counterfeit. That God gives them over to a counterfeit mind. That, that all of a sudden they believe something to be good that's actually very evil. And the Bible says that it's part of the, the, the signs of the times, we would call them. That people call good evil and they call evil good. And we're seeing that in our nation. And everybody, we cannot live a life where we call evil good and good evil. If there's ever a time for the church of Jesus Christ to stand up in truth, but listen to me, but also to stand up in love, now is the time. Can I tell you what's more powerful? A lot of people spend their time, in fact, legalistic Christians spend their time announcing sin. Well, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're a sinner, and they're a sinner, and they're a sinner. Can I tell you, we need to spend our time announcing grace and mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. Our, our, our Savior, amen? You should have amen better than that, everybody. That You could spend your days announcing sin, but don't do that. Announce the grace and the love and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Because when God is showing his passive wrath and he's giving them over to sinful desires and shameful loves and to a depraved mind, that he's actually, he's actually helping them come to their senses, that they would be like the prodigal who comes to his senses and says, what have I done? How did I get here? This isn't the life that I wanted to live. And they start calling upon the Lord, and that's his grace, and that's his mercy at work. In fact, let me, let me prove this to you. Romans, I'm sorry, the third point, write this down. The, the good news, the good news, the good news is God still calls sinners to himself. He still calls sinners to himself. So there's some people in this room that you've been very uncomfortable with what we've been talking about today. And you've said, I've done that. I've thought that. I've suppressed the truth. I've given in to sinful desires, to addictions, to shameful lusts, to, you know, pastor, I'm scared. I I might even have a reprobate mind. I might even, and there's some people in this room who are watching online and and you're nervous right now. Can I just, can I just calm your nerves a little bit through the word and and, and the proof of God's word, the truth? First of all, I'm going to go to Psalm chapter 81, verse 11. And, and I chose some verses here that actually have the same verbiage that what we've been reading in, in the book of Romans. This has the same verbiage because I wanted to show that God is very purposeful in showing you what forgiveness looks like, what redemption looks like. Psalm 81, verse 11, but my people would not listen to me, so I gave them over. Isn't that what we've been talking about? My people would not listen to me, God says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. That sounds like Romans 1 to me. But he goes on to say, but if my people would only listen to me and follow my ways, like if they would just turn towards me, hear my voice and come after me, God says how quickly I would subdue their enemies, like I would bring them freedom. And they would be fed with the finest of wheat I would provide for them. And in fact, with honey from the rock, I would satisfy them. If they just hear my voice and call to me, I'm going to bless their socks off. If they just hear my voice and come to me, I'm going to make them so prosperous. I'm going to pull the miraculous out of things that, that seems like miraculous things can't come from. How many know you can't really get honey from a rock? Oh, but God can. And he says, look, I'm going to pull the miraculous in your direction if you just hear my voice and turn towards me. I, I, I gave you over to your sinful desires, to the shameful us, to the depraved mind. But if you just hear my voice, I'm ready to pour my blessings and my favor out upon your life. I'm ready to, I'm ready to set you free to subdue your enemies, God says. Look at, look at the book of Job. Job chapter 8, verses 3 and 6. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. He's saying, hey, look around. Look at all these other people that sinned against him. And he just gave them over to that. But he turns it now and he says, but, 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 but. But if you will seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, even now, oh no, but, but I've gone too far, Pastor. No, 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 no. If you seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to a prosperous state. He's not only going to restore you, he's going to restore you to prosperity, the Bible says. If you just turn towards him and seek him with all of your heart, that's what he's going to do. 
Well, pastor, I'm too far gone. Are you still breathing? Because the Bible still says every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. When you call out to God for forgiveness, he always says yes. And if the devil is trying to convince you after we've heard this message, trying to convince you that you have gone too far, let me say something out loud that the devil is a liar. And if you'd hear the voice of the Lord today, if something inside of you says, I need to come to Christ, then Jesus says, come and I'll forgive you. Come and I'll restore you. Come and I will show you blessings and prosperity. I'll show you the miraculous. I'll show you freedom if you just come. So here's what we're to do. Here's what we're to do. We are to live life not in condemnation of those who are living in sin, not in judgment. We don't look down upon anybody because we too struggle with sin issues. We are to love everybody, to welcome everybody. Let me say it this way. The people who you would feel are the most unlovely are the people you need to love the most because that could be a challenge in God's life for you because God doesn't view people as unlovely. Their sin as unlovely, yes. But them, they're his creation and he loves them and he wants you to love them. And whoever walks into these doors, we are going to love them and embrace them and we're going to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ that everybody who calls upon him is saved. Can I get an amen to that, everybody? That's who we are. I, I'm telling you, this is what we're doing. I'm just speaking the truth in love. That the Bible is politically incorrect, but God is merciful, and he's gracious, and he's loving, and he doesn't want people to be bound in sin. He wants... He wants to set them free by the power of his name and by his spirit at work in their life. That's a good word. That's a, that's a, a word that this entire nation, this entire world needs to hear. And it's a, it's a word that a lot of pastors are staying away from. But how many are glad you belong to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that, that we don't... down at others but we love everyone and we share the gospel of grace with everyone and yet we're not afraid to say that sin is sin and we don't make light of it we don't make jokes about it can I tell you something if there, if there are jokes in your world that involve homosexuality you need to stop because it's not funny to God it breaks the heart of God if there are jokes in your world that have to do with death or have to do with abortion, can I tell you, you need to stop. That's not the heart of God. Those things are not funny to God. God is, God is calling people to himself and he wants to use us to reach this lost, this broken world that's literally celebrating sin and he's using us to go make a difference. But we can only do that if we're filled with love and fill the truth, and we need to do it. Don't ever suppress the truth. As for us here at New Song, we will not do that. We will not suppress the truth. We will promote the grace and the goodness and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you're glad about that, stand up with me this morning. I'll tell you, there, there are, are very few, I'm going to say it like this, very few sermons to preach. There, there's very few sermons that are, that are more difficult to preach than what I just preached today. Can I tell you that? Everybody, I went into this message with some prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Because these are some delicate issues. And yet, I would be a terrible pastor if I didn't share with you the whole word of God, the full the fullness of God's word. I would be a terrible pastor. And I share it with you because I love you, but I also share it with you because I love God and I have to stand before God one day. And I, I want to stand before God knowing that I held to the truth. And, and you should be thinking that thought too. Because it's not just for me, it's really for all of us. Are you going to hold to the truth or not? That's your decision that you have to make. So do everything in love and do everything in grace and mercy, but do not suppress the truth. Hold to it because the truth sets people free. They will not be set free if you suppress it. They won't be set free if you suppress it. You have to hold to it, embrace it, teach it, but do it in love, not in sarcasm, not in anger, not in frustration. You do it in love. For the glory of God, Let's open our hands toward heaven. Heavenly Father, we receive your word today. Some, sometimes your word is extremely encouraging. Sometimes your word is extremely challenging. And we embrace the fullness of it. We are not ashamed of your word. It is life. And it brings life. It's freedom and it brings freedom. And we rejoice in your word. And I thank you, Father that whoever calls upon you is saved. That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. So with nobody looking around here in this moment, if there's anybody in this room, believers, just start praying. If there's anybody in this room that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you've never made him Lord of your life, and you realize that you're not too far gone, that if you just hear his voice and turn towards him today, that he'll accept you just the way you are. And he loves you so much that he won't leave you there. And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'm telling you, he's ready to accept you. Would you raise your hand really high and show me who you are? All right, I see your hands. Anybody else? Oh, I'm so proud of you. So let me pray this prayer for those who just raised their hands. Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving me. I come to you today acknowledging my need for a Savior. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I confess my need for you. But Jesus, I also confess you are Lord, and I'm asking you today, be Lord of my life. I submit myself to you. I surrender myself to you today. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for drawing me to yourself, for looking past my sins and accepting me as I am but loving me so much that you're not going to leave me there. Thank you for saving me. I give you my life. I give you my worship. In Jesus' name, amen. 
As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week. Thank you.